Good morning, everybody. Okay, uh, my screen time was down 27% last week. Thank you uh, very much, iPad, for letting me know that. Hey, it's great to see all of you here this morning. I just, I like the laughter. I like the laughter and, and uh, all of the all of the good feels in the room this morning, but we're glad that you're here. Thanks for choosing to spend your time with us today. And podcasters out there in podcast land, we appreciate you listening in too. And as we always say, we hope that what you hear today and next encourages you in your life and in your walk with God. We hope that it inspires you to keep hoping for greater things. And we also hope that it motivates you and challenges you to keep doing the things that will allow you to get better. Amen. I want to get better. There was not a single amen to that. The rest of the folks out there are like, yes, Jason, we want you to keep getting better too. <clears throat> now, I want to get better. Um, I've got room for growth, and there are things that I need, to, I need to be better at. I hope you feel the same way. I hope you don't feel like you've arrived. Um, if you do, that's something that you need to get better at. But um, today, we are continuing our series on the Proving Ground by Kevin Gerald, and uh, the tagline for that book is Nine Tests that prove your potential. Now, last, week, uh, last week, we heard from Dave Bunch uh, as he talked to us about the wilderness test. Uh, it's all about how uh, you respond to difficult seasons in life, and can you make the changes in those difficult seasons that will allow you to be productive at the next level. Big Dave, as I often call him, uh, he did an excellent job. He always does. Uh, so he's he's a great communicator. But uh, and he's not here. Um, but uh, I'll just go ahead and brag on Dave. His style of presentation is so authentic uh, and very classy. Just first class guy. And uh, I don't know of anyone else uh, in my life that I know personally that has walked through the wilderness test and passed. The wilderness tests like Dave Bunch has. So if you missed last week, I strongly urge you to go back and give that a listen. Uh, give that a listen. But Dave, thank you so much uh, for delivering such an excellent presentation. It was emotional at times. I'm back there. I'm, I'm not the one up here talking. It wasn't my son that went through that, but I'm back there bawling. Um, it was emotional at times, but it was also very full of just practical, rock-solid information. And it came from someone who has walked the path, so it was also anointed as well with authority, and it was excellent. So let me go ahead and give you guys the heads up. Beginning next week, we will have a, a series of guest speakers with us talking to us about different chapters from the Proving Ground. Next week, December 1st, A.A. Ron, my friend, Aaron Duran, is going to be talking to us about the warfare test and then the week after that, that's going to be uh, December 8th, BT is going to be talking to us about the authority test. And then rounding out our guest speakers for the series uh, on the 15th of December, which is also our Grace Christmas service, Pastor Murphy is going to be talking to us about the offense test. And after that, there's one more, the lordship test, and I'll round that out uh, on, on and around the 22nd. Now this week, as you've probably figured out, it's just me, it's just Jason, but uh, today we're going to be talking about the test of time, the test of time. I feel um, uniquely qualified 
and uniquely unqualified to talk about this one. And it's strange because this isn't one that came up whenever I took the self-assessment twice. This isn't one that came up. But as I'm reading through the chapter, I'm like, this is mine too. So um, you're, you're looking at a guy that feels like he's in the test of time and hasn't yet passed the test of time. So I'm going to teach you about the test of time. Um, the test of time comes to prove our endurance and um, our patience and our ongoing confidence and our faith in various seasons of life. Y'all know that every chapter comes with a question. So here's the key question for this week, for those of you taking notes. And it's just, it's real simple. But do you get better or do you get bitter with time? Do you get better or do you get bitter with time? John chapter uh, 7, verse 6 says this, it says, then Jesus said to them, now context matters, right? We say that all the time in next, but context matters. Jesus is talking to his own brothers uh, because in the context before this, his brothers are saying, hey, you know, if you can do all this stuff, just go ahead and do it. Get your disciples, go out there and start proving yourself. And the scripture actually says, because his own brothers didn't believe in him. And this is how Jesus responds to him. He says, my time has not yet come. It's not time for me to do what it is I'm here to do. But watch this, but your time, is always ready. It's always your time. That's interesting. You know, Jesus, he did a lot of good things with his time. Uh, He taught his disciples. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He drove out demons. He fed the hungry. You know, sometimes he spent time traveling, and sometimes he stayed in one spot. Sometimes he spent time with the crowds, and sometimes he withdrew for solitude He spent time celebrating with those that he loved, and he also spent time mourning the loss of those that he loved, like John the Baptist and Lazarus whenever he died. Sometimes Jesus even slowed down and took his time, and sometimes he lived with this driven sense of urgency. You know, Jesus is the best example of someone who passed the test of time, because he accomplished everything he came to do. And this is cool. Just like Jesus, our test of time won't end until our purpose is accomplished either. So in a weird kind of way, a test of time is is a good place to be, because if you're in a test of time, then that means you still have time left, right? Right? So let's get to it. Talk about the fact that um, it's, it's your time and it's your turn. Um, y'all, ever, uh, y'all ever Netflix scroll? Like spend 30 minutes looking for something to watch and then never watch anything? I don't ever do that. I'm just asking for a friend. You know, the, there's an official term for that. It's called Netflix block. I never called it that. I had to look it up, but I just put it in Google. I was like, what's it called when you scroll, and it actually filled it in for me. Fill, whenever you scroll Netflix, thank you, Google, and it's called Netflix block. You know, some people actually spend their lives in a perpetual state of Netflix block. They convince themselves that real life is not going to start until they accomplish some milestone at some point in the future. 
It might be graduating from high school or, or finishing college or landing a certain job or getting married or having children or making a certain amount of money. Whenever I finally make six figures, <laughs> we're still waiting a long time, but whenever I finally make six figures or whenever I get a certain car or have a certain size house in a certain neighborhood, the list of when real life, and I'm using the quote marks there, podcasters, but the list of when real life will finally start could go on and on. But the simple fact is this, that type of mentality that we're waiting on something for real life to start is setting us up for failing the test of time. Whenever we engage in the real life version of Netflix block, we effectively sideline ourselves waiting on somebody to put us into the game. But nobody's going to put you in the game. You put yourself in the game. Listen, I want you all to hear this. You don't have to wait to live your life whenever blank happens. You don't have to live as if your life is going to start whenever fill in the blank happens. You are currently right now, listen to me and write this one down, note takers. You are currently living in the time of your greatest potential. You've had, you've never had more potential than you have right now. This is your time. Right now, it's your time. And guess what? Since it's your time, then that means it's your turn. And what you do with your turn determines what happens in your time. You know, there's, there's a great example of this principle uh, in Scripture. Her name is Esther. And uh, Esther did what she could with what she had when she had it. She did what she could with what she had. When she had it, she's, if you've never read her story, I encourage you to do that. Uh, she's got a book in the Bible. It's called Esther. You should check it out sometime. Uh, but whenever you do, read a little bit about the history. Uh, take, take 15 minutes and Google and go to Wikipedia and read a little bit about the history uh, of, of Esther and, and Purim, the holiday that the Jews still celebrate today because of they, they, uh, they memorialize that, that holiday. Uh, the fact that they were saved by Esther. It's, it's called Purim. And uh, early in life, Esther became an orphan. And she was then raised by her cousin Mordecai. And on top of being an orphan, she was also a Jewish woman, right, in a very patriarchal society. So she's a Jewish woman, and she's living in Persia. Not the most ideal situation, but as the story goes, Esther has this poise and beauty and grace that catches the eye of the people that had been uh, charged to find a new king or a new queen for the king. I, I love that whole idea. Hey, I want you to go out and find me, find me a new wife. Go find me a, go find me a new queen. And uh, they found Esther, and Esther goes through this year of preparation, and then she finally meets the king, and he likes her. And he marries her, and he makes her the new queen of Persia. But there's a plot twist, though, because there's this guy named Haman who's on the king's cabinet, and he's decided that it's time to kill all of the Jewish people. 
living in every province of Persia. Now, we're talking about the, the geography. It's, it's, it's Iran, and it's all of the province around that. So think Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, 127 provinces, and I couldn't find an exact number, but maybe somewhere around 30,000 to 50,000 Jews living in the lands of Persia, and Haman wants to kill all of them because one man, Esther's cousin Mordecai, won't bow down to, bow down to him. And so that's his plan. He's going to kill all of these Jews. It's outright genocide. And that's whenever Mordecai says these famous words to Esther. It's found in Esther chapter 4. And he says this, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, I love his faith, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Esther, God's going to have a people. There's going to be relief for us if you don't do this, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So just like Esther embraced her time, we are current, you, me, all of us here in Next at Grace Church of Central today, we are currently living in the time of our greatest potential. That, that mentality, getting that through your brain, it'll change the way that you look at life because now you're not waiting on something. You have all of the the greatest potential you've ever had. You have right now today. So that means your time is not over, and you're not waiting on your time to come. We are currently living in our time. Now, look, we can't do anything about our past, but we can do something about the future. We can't do anything about our ancestors or our crazy family, but we can do something about influencing our children. We can't do anything about the past, but we can we can touch the future. We can... We can get our focus off of our history and start thinking about the influence we'll have on our legacy. I, want you to, I don't want you to fall into the trap of that someday mentality because it caps your potential. It limits your potential. It binds your potential. Take your turn right now and live your today potential. See, the question isn't what you will do someday. The question is, what are you doing right now to prepare yourself for your God-designed purpose? Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 in the NIV says this. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. But look at this next part. I found the dichotomy here fascinating. He's also set eternity in the human heart. So there's... There's a beauty that comes in its time, but he says there's also going to be some discontent. You know why? You know why you're eternal, you're, you're always discontent? It's because there's eternity in your heart. And what's here right now just isn't going to match up to the, to the eternity, the longing that God has put in your heart. So there's going to be that discontentment there, but everything is made beautiful in its time. If you stay obedient to his process and engaged in his process, then and, and, and just embrace this idea of preparing yourself now, then at one time or another, in one way or another, that seed of potential is going to break open and grow in your life. Nathan Henson, you've got to be laughing back there right now about some of the conversations we've had where you've talked about what are you doing right now to prepare to be the kind of person that can do the things that you dream about. Well, I don't know. I may, maybe you read The Proving Ground before I did. Or maybe God dropped that on you. But, you know, all of us have, um, 
we've heard this term before, but all of us have a window of time. I think it was Rick Warren. We'll give him credit for it anyway. Uh, I think it was Rick Warren who originally said, life is God's gift to you, and what you do with your life is your gift to God. And Paul was trying to get the Ephesians to understand that same concept in Ephesians 5 and 16. We looked at this earlier in our series where he's told them, he's like, you've got to make the most of every opportunity. That's pretty plain and simple. Make the most of every opportunity. But the truth of the matter is, guys, every opportunity has an expiration date. Every, even salvation, even your opportunity at salvation has an expiration date. As long as you're breathing, the opportunity's open. But when your heart stops, that op- every opportunity has a window. Every opportunity has a window of time in which to take advantage of it. And most people, I don't want you to be most people, but most people get so distracted with the urgent of daily living that they miss its most important opportunities. You know, the urgent, it presses on us. Crossing everything off the to-do list. How, how many of you make a to-do list on Mondays whenever you get to work? Do it frequently. Not every Monday, but just pretty, pretty frequently. Make my list of things that got to get done today and things that got to get done this week. And the urgent of getting everything crossed off the list and making sure I've checked every email in the box and making sure I get to the event that's on my overbooked schedule and working all of that overtime. Those things, they're urgent. But the important matters... I mean the stuff that really matters, not the urgent, the important matters. Those things seldom press on us like the urgent does. There's always this pressure with the urgent. But the really important things, those don't press on us quite the same way. Like taking care of your, yourself, your body, physically, mentally, that doesn't press on I'll get to it someday. Spending time with your children, investing in your children... Working on your marriage, building a strong family, your spiritual development, financial planning. Yeah, I'll get around to it one day. Whenever I make whatever amount of money, right, there's the someday clause. Guys, those are life's best opportunities. Passing the test of time means that we seize those opportunities while the window is open. Look, the email list is always going to be there. The to-do list is always going to be there. Let me step on some toes this morning. Facebook, Lord help us. It's always going to be there, spying on us and collecting our data. (laughs) Turning your camera on your phone if you don't know it. But your kids, your mental health, your physical health, you've got to take those opportunities because they won't always be open. So with those things in mind, I want to, I want to spend the rest of our time together today talking about what it takes to pass the test of time. And it takes at least three things. Now, there's probably more than this but at least three things that we can talk about today, and I'll give them to you up front, and we'll talk about each one as we go. But it takes at least three things to pass the test of time. The first one is vision. The second one is planning. And then the third one is long-term thinking. I want to pass the test of time. You've at least got to have vision, planning, and long-term thinking. 
So let's talk about the first one. Vision is vital. Like that alliteration, it helps you remember. Vision is vital. But it is. Passing the test of time requires that you have a vision for where you want to go. You know, the captain of a ship, of a cruise ship, he doesn't just set out and be like, all right, well, we'll figure out a way to get there. No, he's got a destination in mind, and he plots a course on how to get there. He's got to know where he's going so he can, first of all, plot the course, and then second of all, make corrections as they go. He needs to know the destination. Folks, that's us. We need a destination. We need to know where we're going. And having that vision of where you want to go, and watch this next part, and then communicating that vision to the people around you is so important. You need a vision, a destination that you want to go, and then you've got to communicate that to the people around you. You know, Nate and I, we, we try to meet up for lunch uh, every now and then, um, every other week or so, and... Um, a couple of weeks ago, it was one of those days when it was really cold. The Arctic blast came through, and we wanted to go out for lunch. And he said, uh, hey, let's go to Chow Yun Fat and get some ramen. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. I've watched you eat that before, and it looks like something that people who've been bad get punished and have to eat that. But I'll give it a shot. I'll go. And so we went. Uh, but there are two locations near where I work. There's the one uh, underneath the Perkins overpass, and then there's the one at White Star Market. And so we had to communicate about which one are we going to. We had to get that clear, because otherwise, then we would wind up in two different places, and we might want the same thing. Watch me. We might want the same thing. I want to just have lunch with my buddy, eat lunch with a friend, but if we don't communicate it beforehand, then that means, <laughs> that means Jason ends up eating salty water by himself somewhere. And that's, that's sad. That would be sad. So we had to communicate beforehand. When we lock in, listen to me, whenever we lock in a vision for our future, something happens to the way that we see our present and how we spend our time and how we interact with the people around us. Jesus was locked in like a laser on his vision. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was doing. He, he knew what his destiny was and why he was doing it. And so that vision fueled his daily decisions and how he spent his time. It even caused him to be in the right places at the right time. But it started with vision. Guys, listen, sometimes our problem isn't a lack of skills or a lack of development or a lack of discipline or even a lack of time. Well, I just don't have time. Mm -mm, no. Sometimes it's not that. Rather, it's we lack the vision. The vision to direct our development and the vision to motivate our discipline and the vision to manage our time. You didn't like that one very much, did you? If we had a clear vision of where we want to go, then we would be disciplined in our skill development. We would be better managers of our time. Vision is vital, and communicating that vision to those around you is important. And aligning your skill development, your daily disciplines, your time management with that vision is going to make you a more effective person, a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, a better Christian Vision, guys, is where it starts. You've got to have a vision of where you're going. So that's the first one for passing the test of time. The second one is the power of a plan. 
the power of a plan. You know, God makes plans. Jeremiah 20, 19, 11, right? For I know the I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Mentions plans three times in one scripture. God makes plans. He made a plan to create the nation of Israel through Abraham. He made a plan to restore Israel after their captivity. He made a plan for humanity's redemption through Jesus. God even has a plan for you. Not you collectively, or not just you collectively, but you individually. God has a plan for you. I don't know if some of you believe that today. Say it. God has a plan for me. Put it together. God has a plan. I'm not going to let you off the hook. God has a plan for me. Say it. Believe it. Yes. Thank you. Psalm 139 says this. David writes, David writes, he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Watch this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I'd like to see that book. That would be so cool. Maybe one day he'll show it to us. I don't know if David was speaking metaphorically or literally here, but the idea that God had a plan before I was even put together ought to give us a little bit of comfort and hope. Psalm 37, 23, and the King James says this, the steps of a good man are ordered. God didn't just wing it with you. He had a plan. God makes plans. He made a plan for you. And your plans, <laughs> your plans that you make, they need to be in agreement with his plan. So once you have a vision, you need a plan. But people make mistakes whenever they plan. So I want to give you three common mistakes to planning. Three mistakes I want you to avoid. I don't want you to make these mistakes. So three mistakes to avoid when making your plan. The first one is to have no plan. That's a mistake. You need to have a plan. You know, there's a, there's a whatever will be, will be mentality. And then there's a whatever will be is influenced by me mentality. That's the one you want to have. Whatever will be, will be influenced by me. You want that second one. How, how can you hit a target that doesn't exist? Newsflash, champ, you can't. That's why you need a plan. It's not very common for people who don't have plans to ever reach their desired destination. Look, whenever it comes to life, don't just wing it. Clucking and squawking all, all around the place. Have a plan. That's no way to be successful. Make a plan. Isaiah 32 and 8. Oh, my goodness. But the noble make Noble plans. It's like there's a connection between being noble and having a noble plan. Amazing. And by noble deeds they stand. It, it, it's a mistake to not have a plan. So that's the first one. Don't, you need a plan. Don't make that mistake. Have a plan. The second one is to not include others 
when planning. Seek out wisdom from wise people. I saw something the other day. Baby, help me out with this. It's like one of the last things I saw on Facebook, and it was actually worthwhile. It said something like, uh, don't, if you wouldn't ask them for advice, then don't worry about their opinion. Right? Why, are you, why are you worried about someone's opinion if you wouldn't ask them for advice? I want you to seek wisdom, but I want you to seek wisdom from wise people. Right? Listen to this, and this is just a direct quote from the book, but this is what Kevin Gerald said. He said, wisdom is usually found in the collection of consolidated counsel rather than one individual's advice. Wisdom is usually found in the collection of consolidated counsel rather than in one individual's advice. And listen, your unique situation is not going to be a carbon copy of someone else's situation. But seek out advisors and seek more than one and listen with discretion. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. So you need a plan. Don't make that mistake. Make a plan. And then make sure you include others while planning. And here's the third one. This is the third mistake that people make whenever it comes to planning. They don't include God when planning. That's a mistake. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 says this. James is writing, he says, now listen, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Thanks, James. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now look, James isn't saying life is futile. There's just no point. Fate is fickle. Don't plan for tomorrow because you can't control what's going to happen anyway. Doom and gloom. Pessimism. That's not what James is saying. Not at all. He's saying, listen, include God in whatever plans you make. Look at verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He's not saying don't plan at all. He's saying proclaim your plans for tomorrow while leaving room and staying flexible for God's will to be accomplished. Make a plan, include others, and bring God in. And the third one, The third element that we're talking about today to pass the test of time is thinking long-term. Help me, Jesus. People who who pass the test of time are, they learn to think both short and long-term. You got to do both. They consider how their thoughts, their actions, their habits, their words, their behaviors, their choices today will affect them down the road. And this is key. This is key. Long-term thinkers are able to trust God during seasons of waiting, preparation, 
and even hardship and disappointment. Long-term thinkers are able to trust God during those difficult seasons. Check it out. Noah, right? Built the ark. It was 50 years by the time Noah started building the ark and before the first raindrop fell. That was a long time to work on one project and not save anybody but your own family. Abraham and Sarah, 25 years from the first time God gave him the promise until Isaac was actually born. Joseph had these dreams. Your sheaves bowed down to my sheaves, and the sun and the moon bowed down to me. And then he spent 14 years in prison before Pharaoh ever called him up. David, right? Giant slayer. Saul is slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. But Samuel anointed him with oil to be king, And then it was 15 years before he was ever recognized by the first two tribes. And it was another seven years after that before he was recognized by the other ten. If these people, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, David, Joseph, if these people had been short-term thinkers only, they, they never would have made it. They never would have made it. Abraham and Sarah are great examples Right? Of the mess that can happen whenever short-term thinking prevails. Hagar and Ishmael, that was a serious mistake. And one that could have been avoided if they had taken a longer view. And look, I know exactly what happened on that one. Most of us do. Abraham and Sarah just decided it's too late. It's too late. You old. You dried up. You prunish. You old. It's too late. It can't happen. I know God said it, but it's too late. God, he just, I don't know. He took too long. There was something wrong with us or something wrong with him. I don't know, but he took too long, and and now it's too late. So they decided they needed to force what God had promised, and it created a mess, which brings me to my last point, and this is it. Write this one down. It's... Not too late. It's not too late. Mm. It's not too late. Sometimes we can look at our test of time. I'm talking to somebody right now. Sometimes we can look at our test of time and we will project shame and guilt onto ourselves because of the mistakes that we've made with our time up to this point. Here's some good news. I want everybody to listen. This is the good news. If you still have time left, that means you're still breathing. I think we might need to do a little bit of a check, okay? Are you still breathing? Is there a pulse? Huh? Is there a heart beating? Then guess what? This is what that means. You still have meaningful time left. 
You know, Jesus, he didn't start his ministry until he was at least 30 years old. There's some scholars that think he was even, even older than that. Maybe not, maybe not until he was 40, but at least 30 years old. Now, we know very full well that he was very much aware of his purpose by the time he was 12. Because at 12, he ran off, left mom and dad, went to the temple, been teaching. He says, what's the big deal? Don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? He knew what his plan and purpose was, but it wasn't time yet. And so that means he had to spend many, many years just waiting and developing and growing in wisdom and stature and relationship with God and relationship with man. Y'all remember that scripture from Luke a few weeks ago, right? But he, 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 he didn't start, let's say he didn't start until 30, and then he only had three years. I would have been fit to be tied. Are you kidding me? I've got to change the world and you make me wait 30 years and only give me three? Seriously? I mean, I know he's the son of God, but come on. But he still managed to change the world forever. After 30 years of waiting and only three years to get it done. Zechariah and Elizabeth, this was great. Because I was reading back through this story. They're the ones that brought John the Baptist into the world yet. Or brought John the Baptist in the world. But the Bible says, and, and it's in Luke chapter 1, it says, Despite the fact that they were, quote, both very old. So maybe you think it's too late for you. Too late to answer God's call on your life because you ignored it for so long. Too, too late because of the mistakes you've made. I mean, surely God has just thrown up his hands in exasperation and just said, whatever, I'm done. Because you've just made too many mistakes. Missed too many opportunities. Well, here's some more good news. God's grace and his long-suffering lasts longer than your entire lifetime. God waited, listen to this, listen to this, we're almost done. But God waited 120 years before bringing the floodwaters onto the earth after he saw that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all of the time. So God looks and he says, they are messed up, and all they think about and all they do is evil 120 years before the first raindrop falls. That's grace. That's long-suffering. God waited over 400 years before allowing Abraham's descendants to go into the land of Canaan. Even though the scripture says in Genesis 15 that their, their sin was great, but then it says this, that it had not yet reached its full measure. God looked at the inhabitants of Canaan and said, man, they sinful. But they're not sinful enough yet. 400 years. Psalmist said in Psalm chapter 86, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God used David after his adultery and murder. God used Peter 
after he abandoned and denied Christ. God used Paul after he murdered and persecuted and imprisoned Christians. Now, I might not know all of the details of your past, but I can tell you this. Based on the examples of David and Peter and Paul, if you're facing the test of time right now, it's because you've got some time left. It's not too late. So make the most of it. Get a vision. Develop a plan. Think long term. Let me give you some next steps and we'll go. So let me ask you this. This is a catch-all question. Do you get frustrated when things don't happen in the time that you would like? I didn't see anybody shake their head now. That's all of us. Are you someone who compares yourself constantly to where others are at? How does that affect your attitude toward your calling and your purpose? If that's you, and everybody was like all on board with the first one, but then the second one, I'm like, mm, I don't think I want to answer that one. But if that's you, I want to challenge you. If, if the test of time is yours, I want to challenge you. Write down some things that you could do to get a better perspective. A better perspective on yourself. What are some things that I could do to get a better perspective on myself? Maybe I can't make myself get up and exercise for an hour every day, but I can probably get out and walk for 10 minutes. Write down, I'm talking just starting simple, but write down some things that would allow you to give yourself a better perspective on yourself. A better perspective on your spouse. She's full of the devil. Six days out of seven, but. On the seventh day, she's kind of all right. So let's start there. What about perspectives on your kids? Uh, We might not have my child as an honor roll student at whatever, whatever. I'm just happy that they haven't burned the school down yet. But you know what? They've got a soft heart. They love people. Write down some things that will allow you to take a better perspective on yourself, your spouse, your kids. Allow, allow you to take a, a, get a better perspective on your job. Y'all can tell how I feel about mine. And then hopefully, hopefully, with a more complete perspective, then I want you to answer this question. What is something that you could do this week to start living with those perspectives in mind? It might be as simple as putting a reminder in your phone to come up every day. It might be as simple as writing something down on a note card and and putting it on your steering wheel or don't cover up the speedometer. That's probably not a good plan. But or, Or put it on your vanity where you get ready in the morning. Hang it there in the corner of your computer monitor so you, at work so you can remind yourself. What are some things that you could start doing this week to live with those perspectives in mind? Folks, we've got to pass the test of time. We have to. Next week, the warfare test. Aaron Duran, I'm looking forward to it, bro. Let's pray. Lord, you have, uh, you've given us a certain amount of time, and we don't know, we don't know how long we've got. We really don't. Um, hopefully, 
I've got another 120 years to go because I feel like I've got a lot to do. But we really don't know. We don't know how long we have. But however long we have, Lord, we can rest in the confidence that if I'm still breathing and my heart's still beating, then that means you still have something else for me to do. Lord, help me to walk with a more complete perspective. Help me to plan and to have a vision and to think long term. Because, Lord, I really want to pass a test of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great to see you today. We'll see you next door in a few minutes. God bless.